Have you ever had your freshly microwaved lunch drop on the floor and burst into tears? Or maybe it was because after searching for 20 minutes, you still can't find that shirt that you know for sure you put away this morning. And it's the only thing that will fit the pants and you can't wear the shirt Then you have to change the pants and everything is horrible and the world is ending. Or maybe it isn't. These seemingly innocuous moments can sometimes induce intense emotional responses, and after the fallout, can leave you feeling pretty silly in retrospect. Well, I'm here to tell you that it's normal, as long as it's only time to time. Hey there, I'm Molly Hospers, a fourth year psych major at Mount Allison University, and I'm generally a pretty stressed out person. On this episode of This Is Fine, I'm gonna be talking about emotion regulation. So yes, from time to time, it's normal to sob because you forgot your lunch at home or you spilled wine all over your pajamas after a long day. We all are allowed to have meltdowns or emotional release. It can be healthy to let it all out. What's often invisible to us are the times when we don't have emotional outbursts, when we feel we might need them. We are constantly engaging in emotion regulation in response to stressful situations. Sometimes it's done consciously, and other times it's because of years of practice, so integrated into your daily life, it's almost automatic. You can think of your emotions like a tiger that you have to figure out how to tame. For the most part, your tiger may be more of a little orange tabby cat, pretty complacent and going with the flow. You may feel disappointed at the bus being late or frustrated that your partner forgot to thaw the meat that you reminded them 10 times to thaw. Other times, your tabby might become a tiger, lashing out at things that may not actually be a threat. So what if it isn't always time to time? What if your tabby is more tiger than you can control? This is where emotion regulation knowledge may come in handy. So what is emotion regulation? Emotion regulation is described as the process for monitoring, evaluating, and modifying emotional reactions to accomplish one's goals. Emotion regulation can alter the intensity of the emotion that is being experienced, so make your anger or sadness less intense. Or it can be used to slow down or speed up its onset or recovery. Remember a time where you were able to hold off tears until you were able to get home? Or maybe just a time that you were able to have a bit of a cry and move on, feeling a bit better than before. The research suggests that there's two main paths for emotion regulation, antecedent and response-focused. Antecedent regulation are the things that we do before an emotional response is triggered. One way to do this is to frame a situation before one encounters it. One example from a study is framing a job interview as an opportunity to learn about a company rather than a pass-fail test. Response-focused strategies are those that we do once an emotional response has occurred, such as hiding an unpleasant emotion to ease others around us, like with the terrible present. That horrible sweater from your loving family member, itchy in the wrong size, instead of frowning and asking for the receipt, you'll smile and thank them and maybe even wear it the next time you see them. These two main strategies are then broken down further into many smaller categories, depending on the situation and the warranted emotional response, in a pretty complex trail of choices and methods. It seems as though there are unending amounts of ways that people can regulate their emotions. 
Emotion regulation is neither inherently good or bad. There are positive and negative strategies that any one person may use interchangeably for a situation. One positive strategy is reappraisal, which is the reflection and consideration of emotions to attempt to reassess your initial response. An example of a negative strategy is emotion suppression, which is exactly what it sounds, shoving your emotions down and ignoring them. This can be done by just ignoring the emotions or using substances or other behaviors to mask them. Using a negative strategy doesn't immediately set a person off into a maladaptive cycle. We all have moments when we'd rather have a glass of wine or a long bath than constructively address how we're feeling. And that's totally normal and valid. It's only when someone consistently makes maladaptive choices that's when they risk falling into emotion dysregulation. That's when someone has the inability to manage the intensity and duration of emotions. Maladaptive or negative emotion regulation methods are ones that suppress the emotions that you are feeling or engage in methods to avoid feeling them altogether. When someone consistently uses these techniques to deal with their emotions, they're at higher risk for psychological symptoms. Let's back up a minute. I've been talking about emotion regulation, but I haven't explained emotions yet. So, what are emotions? As we all have probably experienced, emotions are highly complex and difficult to fully catalog. Some are harder to control than others. We can feel sad and happy at the same time. We can experience a situation and not totally understand how we feel about it. Even different cultures experience and express emotions differently. In a TED Talk that I totally recommend, Dr. Lisa Feldman Barrett discusses how in response to the same situation, one culture may express sadness and tears, another might express it with quiet resignation. This variety of emotion causes complications for emotion-based research. There are plenty of theories and unresolved issues around emotions, and there still isn't a widely acceptable definition that seems to fit the bill. Generally speaking, emotions are a way of our brain to make sense of the experiences they come across in daily life, be them positive or negative. Often our emotions come from a mixture of what's happening outside our body, our own thoughts, and our physiological sensations. We use the phrase gut feeling for a reason. Often our body is sending us signals about how to feel. Basic emotions are considered to be those generated by evolutionarily old brain systems upon sense of an ecologically valid stimulus. These are emotions thought to be near universal among humans, although there are debates about this. Basic emotions are things like fear, joy, sadness, or disgust. For example, if we use the terrible gift metaphor from before, your first reaction may be disgust, a basic reaction to the situation. Then, once reasoned, you may feel guilt or sorrow at what you felt, or resentment at the person who gave you the gift. Your inner tabby may want to hiss at the inconvenience, but you can reason with it. Let it know it might not be the end of the world. The importance of learning to recognize, articulate, and use emotion feelings constructively throughout life is something important to our emotion development. Developing connections between feelings, words, and thoughts is extremely important for emotionally regulating them. When we can put a name to feelings, we can better consider it. 
you can name your tabby and your tiger and recognize when the tiger decides to show. Steps to understanding your emotions. Having a better understanding of your emotions and emotional reactions is a key step in emotion regulation. Burnout, the secret to unlocking the stress cycle, simplifies this phenomenon for us. The authors describe how we all have a mad woman, or mad person rather, inside of us. They're the version of us that we are expected to be, and they're responsible for assessing situations and deciding what the problem is. Your mad person may be destructive and highly critical, or they might be more protective and isolating. Learning to work with your mad person and personifying your pain and self-criticism can be more healing than positive reappraisal. When you create distance from your emotions, you can explore them calmly and see what's actually creating the chasm between the real you and the expected you. This mad person can be your tiger, and like I said before, it can be helpful to name them. I'd like you to actually take a minute to consider who your expected self is. Who is the person you think you're supposed to be? A perfect student? A perfect friend? Sibling? Kid? A perfect partner? How does this expected self affect how you react to stress and adversity? Personally, my mad woman is a perfectionist. A perfectionist who has trouble with tasks. No trouble being perfect. I think this version of myself directly speaks to how I respond to stressful situations. When things don't go perfectly as expected, I experience a lot of stress. When it comes to emotion regulation strategies, which we will learn about later, I tend to shut down. This means I am unable to even complete the task that was troubling, let alone perfect it. Now, I have recognized this part of myself, this mad woman, this tiger. I can name her. Whenever my emotions are heightened, I can call her out, ask her what's going on, what she needs to feel better, and what I can do to help her work more efficiently. When I feel myself start to panic to fall down the polyvagal ladder of stress reactions because I forgot I had a paper due the next day, I can stop and talk to my mad person. When she's sobbing and breaking down, I can ask her what's wrong and why she's making such a big fuss. Then I can sit with her and help her figure out what to do with this problem. The paper, it isn't the end of the world. Separating myself from the intensity and the suddenness of my emotional state and critically examining what I am feeling and why is so helpful to figuring out how to productively deal with it. Maybe that meltdown over the shirt I want to wear and can't find is because of something bigger. Maybe work has become more stressful or a big presentation at school is coming up. In Burnout Book, the Nagoski sisters state, when you are gentle with yourself, you grow mighty. But being gentle with yourself is not always an easy path either. Self-compassion can be a difficult journey to start, but research shows that it can be an incredible helpful endeavor. As you might imagine, research on emotion regulation has found that maladaptive strategies, such as suppression, were more strongly related to psychopathology than the adaptive strategies. This means that people who tend to use more negative strategies are more likely to suffer from mental illnesses. Consistent maladaptive strategies were found to have more of an effect on mental health than adaptive strategies. This can be pretty confusing, but to break it down further, 
When we choose to make consistent maladaptive strategy choices like suppressing emotions, it will have a bigger effect on our lives than if we were to consistently make positive emotion regulation strategies like reappraisal. Reappraisal is the method of reconsidering the emotions and the situation that caused them, productively reflecting on one's reaction. Participants in a study looking at emotion regulation and students with probable post-traumatic stress disorder, or PTSD, reported greater emotion regulation difficulties on surveys than groups without probable PTSD. This further illustrates the link between mental illness and issues with emotion regulation. This all seems pretty doom and gloom, but regulation strategies are not set in stone. We can learn different emotion regulation skills. However, being able to effectively and flexibly regulate one's emotions appears to be a protective factor against increased psychological distress following a potentially stressful life experience. They argue that the effectiveness of any one emotion regulation strategy is dependent on both individual and environmental characteristics. A highly emotive person may actually benefit from suppression once in a while, and a more introverted person may benefit from social interaction and the sharing of emotions. A large issue in emotion regulation research is the intense focus on the negatives, as you might have noticed earlier. Most of the research is done on how we make regulation mistakes, or how we fall into emotion dysregulation. The regulation of positive emotions is just as important, however. Some researchers looked into this after finding participants in a survey reported using strategies to alter their positive emotions, not just their negative ones. They did report regulating negative emotions more frequently, however. So, why do people have to regulate positive emotions at all? Research found that the main strategies were for maintaining or increasing the positive emotional experiences. We like feeling good, and we like staying that way. Certain strategies for regulation, such as problem-solving, are used to move on from the issue and the negative state towards a more positive one. Like with trying to hide your distaste for a bad present, some people regulate positive emotions in order to reduce the impact of the negative emotions. If the present isn't too bad, you might overly express your joy and just ramp up the positive. If it's really terrible, you may focus more on trying not to be too disappointed while also trying to appear gracious. In some cases, People may pause to consider the good things in their lives, which can enhance gratitude in attempts to break through negative feelings. So here, I'd like you all to try a small experiment. Take a moment to consider the things in your life you're truly lucky for. Big or small, that thing or things help move you through life. I'm supremely grateful for the love of my family and the companionship of my pets, my ability to attend school, the place where I live. When I consider all these things I'm truly lucky for, sometimes it can help give perspective on things I find troubling. Now, here's a challenge. If the thing you're grateful for is a person or people, send them a text. Let them know that you care for them. It'll not only give you some happiness, but them too. Everyone likes to feel appreciated. 
Speaking of positive events, researchers have also found that the ability to find positive meaning in ordinary events was a way of buffering distress. The benefits of simply being thankful for a friendship at a social gathering, for instance, were powerful coping mechanisms for both caregivers and patients with AIDS. The positive reappraisal generated positive emotional experience even amidst stress. So that exercise we did, thanking family or friends for being there, it can provide a buffer to the stressful times we all are experiencing with COVID, especially for those that we're not able to come in contact with. Being social is an important aspect of caring for oneself as well. Even introverts need some sort of social connection. Social interactions play an important part to emotion regulation as well. Interpersonal research by Zaki and Williams in 2013 found that speaking openly about one's feelings and hearing the way that others speak about their emotions may allow for survivors of trauma to attend their emotions, differentiate them, and label them, and make sense of their emotional experience. This is a key step in being able to emotionally regulate in a positive manner. The clarity and awareness provided by social interaction and feedback are key to being able to regulate your emotions more productively. Just putting things out into the world and getting them out of your head can be helpful. Unfortunately, those who have suffered certain trauma tend to avoid social support or wait longer periods before talking. Regardless of trauma disclosure, emotional sharing of any kind within one's social network can allow for emotional regulation benefits and collaborative discussions about coping skills. Social interaction, as research shows, can provide an invaluable second look at a situation and provide first-hand perspectives on how to deal with particular emotional issues. Our social bonds can help uplift us from emotional turmoil, and as mammals that rely deeply on connection, it can help ease our pain. So, how can we do any of this in our regular day-to-day life? Well, as I mentioned earlier, practicing self-compassion is a good first step into caring for yourself, especially when you're facing the chasm between your expected self and your actual self. Consider your mad person, the person you named earlier. You can take some time out of your day to talk to them, and I know this sounds a bit weird, but figure out who they are and what they want. What are their goals? How can you align yourself with them to work together and close that chasm? When in the middle of a situation where you're experiencing intense emotions, you can practice STOP. That's S-T-O-P-P, which was created by the therapist and author Carol Vivian. To manage intense emotions, you S, stop. T, take a breath. O, observe your thoughts and feelings. P, pull back and figure out the bigger picture. And P, practice what works. This method is a great technique for dealing with an immediate, intense emotional situation. Daily techniques are also, a positive, are also positive to implement rather than simply putting out fires as they occur. Practicing mindfulness and meditation are great for overall well-being, as well as understanding your emotion regulation response. Emotive writing, covered in the episode Writing for Relief, is a great way to let out intense feelings in order to begin to understand them. 
the process of addressing painful or positive emotional experiences through writing can provide distance and understanding to the situation that can aid in the healing process. Finally, seeking help from a professional is always a great option. Self-help techniques and books are all well and good, but few things can stand up to the aid of a trained professional. They provide a second point of view and have a distance to your emotions and feelings that you might not be able to achieve. And with their help, they can teach emotion response techniques. Emotion regulation is a fundamental process in managing how we react to the world and the stressful events we encounter. Our ability to regulate emotions is a cognitive process that can determine how effective we are at dealing with stressful events. And our ability to be flexible with how we manage ourselves is a protective measure. When we consistently rely on maladaptive strategies to regulate our emotions, we are more likely to suffer from mental health issues and emotion dysregulation. Being able to address and understand our emotions as they happen or before they happen promotes healing and can speed up recovery. So, emotion regulation, a big part of our lives. Ways we can understand it, ways we can harness it. Is it as big and scary as a leaping tiger? Is it the stressor that's forcing you into fight or flight? Or has it become more the tame kitty cat that's waiting impatiently for its supper? Hopefully, this has provided something you can use. Remember how I asked you to think about things you were grateful for? Well, I'm grateful to you, listeners. Thank you for taking the time to listen and make it to the end. Thank you for trying to learn better ways to manage stress. Or thank you for just having this on as background noise. Either way, today I'm grateful for you. Tomorrow, I hope you're grateful to yourselves. This is Fine, a podcast about stress, burnout, and resilience, was created by students at Mount Allison University. The students created each episode as part of a fourth-year psychology class called Stress, Burnout, and Resilience, taught by me, Dr. Lisa Don Hamilton. There's a link in the show notes to access the full script with references. You can also go to mta.ca slash psychology and click on the This Is Fine podcast link. Episodes were recorded at the CHMA studios in Sackville, New Brunswick, or over the internet when that wasn't possible. Script assistance, podcast basics, and training were provided by Matt Tunnicliffe. Music and audio production by Jeremy Dahl at palebluedotstudios. Thanks for listening and for supporting these students' foray into the world of podcasting.